Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hi friends, happy Wednesday. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I am answering questions texted in from you. Questions like, is the Enneagram Christian? Can therapy change your Enneagram type? Is it possible to not have a wing? And more. But first, today's Rosebud and Thorn. Okay, so my rose for today is that back at Christmas time, I did our Christmas decorations And for the first time in my life, I got candles just for the season so that our house would smell like gingerbread-y and Christmas-y. And ever since then, so twice now, I have replaced the old candles at the beginning of the new season. So we just did our spring candle re-up, which means I got to pick a new scent for this season. And this is really fun for a couple of reasons. One, I used to be kind of a candle hoarder. Like I wanted to get candles, but I didn't burn them because I have like poor kid syndrome where I'm scared of using the things that I buy because I'm scared of not being able to buy them again. And so seasonal candles kind of has helped me to really just use and enjoy this really small kind of luxury thing. That's one reason this is awesome. The second reason this is awesome is that our scent is so deeply tied to memory. So if you buy the same candles all the time, you aren't getting to create like a a specific sensory memory related to that time period. But yesterday I still had one Christmas candle left and I lit it um, and just smelled it and I was like, Oh my gosh, this brings me right back to what Christmas was like for us this year, which is a really good time. And so just smelling that smell took me back. And that is a really fun way to get to experience life a little bit more deeply. For those that are curious, because I'm nosy and I would be curious, (laughs) our spring scents, I did like a citrus mint situation. So All of the candles we got have some form of like citrus, bright, mint, lemon, orange kind of deal. Okay, my thorn right now is that every once in a while, as a person, I just need to like book a hotel or go on a trip or get an Airbnb or something and just kind of have a new surrounding. This is something that wasn't hard to do when like pre-COVID, right? Like I used to travel so much for work. I feel like I say that every every episode, um, but that was a huge change in my life. And in 2020, I did one Airbnb, I feel like. Maybe I'm lying to you. I traveled in the, in the beginning of early 2020 a few times before lockdown happened. But then after that, I think I did one Airbnb and then I did an Airbnb at New Year's and this week I'm just like craving a hotel room for some reason. I just want to like go stay one night in a hotel, order room service, just feel like I don't have to think about anything, take care of anything. 
But you know, my anxiety is not there yet. I am not ready. I am absolutely, absolutely not ready. I was going to do it in our town too. And I was like, if I just check in, I could technically kind of not really engage with anyone and just get to the hotel room and kind of stay in the room and not technically engage with anybody. But I think like I have a level of like anger around tourism right now that like it just wouldn't be like mentally healthy for me to go even if I could technically possibly do it safely. Not ready, but I really wish I was. But my bud is that I do have an Airbnb gift card that my husband got me for Christmas or my birthday, one of those, and I'm going to use it this week. So I went ahead and booked an Airbnb in my town about probably 10 minutes away from my house. I'm just going to stay there for two nights, do a really big work session one day because that always helps me so much. I have so many moving projects going on right now, so just to kind of make a huge dent into one of them would be awesome. And yeah, get a little bit of new scenery and, and space to myself. So that's something I'm very much looking forward to. Okay, let's dive into today's questions. So the first question that came in is, do you think the Enneagram is based on Christian beliefs? And I would say no, honestly. So from what I understand, and as much as I understand, most of the early teachers weren't coming from a religious place at all, but rather from a psychological place. Um, you know, most of them were psychologists. So it's really my, my opinion that religion became so intertwined with the Enneagram through more the work of Richard Rohr and eventually Suzanne Stabile and Ian Cron. I can't really speak for those of you who are Christians and are wrestling with the potential disconnect from, with your faith in the Enneagram. Like I would say, you know, if it makes you uncomfortable, that maybe it's not right for you. That's up to you fully. Um, personally, you know, I don't believe in like demons or um, I'm not afraid of Ouija boards or astrology. It doesn't freak me out. Things like that. Um, and honestly, it didn't when I was a Christian either. And, and it doesn't now. So to me, the Enneagram is what you choose to do with it. Similarly, kind of to religion, if you're religious and you see that as a way to be kinder, more loving and care more for people, it's a completely different thing than using religion to do harm, ostracize people and create and maintain oppressive systems. And the Enneagram can be a tool for deepening your spiritual practice, connecting you more to your community, or it can be a tool for justifying the harm that you do. And it's really up to you how you choose to use the tool. The Enneagram is kind of a neutral thing. It's information that you get to choose what you do with it and how you approach it. The second question, if we all have an Enneagram number and we get the Enneagram through our childhood trauma and wounds, if we go to therapy and truly heal those wounds, then would we still have a number or is there more to it? So a lot of times when I'm talking to people and they're talking about growth through the Enneagram, they ask me, if I grow, will I change my number? Um, and that's really not what you're asking here, right? You're saying, would we even have a number? But I am kind of kind of address them together. So I think it's important to know that the goal of the Enneagram isn't to change your number, but to change how much you rely on that number to get through life. So you, if you go to therapy, you work through these things, in general, you're likely to show up as a healthier version of your type You'll likely pull from the skills and assets of other numbers, and you'll probably be more well-rounded in general. 
And so when you say, would I still have a number, you likely would have a relationship to the worldview that your number provided for you in life. However, you are hopefully eventually going to get to the point where you don't feel like that's the only way to be. You're able to access lots of different ways of showing up in the world. You don't lean so heavily on that. Um, but I am personally careful to say that we will ever fully heal. Um, I think that expectation that there is a destination for your inner work is a pretty high bar and maybe too high of expectation to even be putting on ourselves. And I really believe that most of us are in relationship to the healthy and unhealthy levels of our numbers every single day. So over time, we may find that we soften those edges significantly, but that is done through consistent relationship and paying attention, right? It's not necessarily like I'm going to push really, really hard and work really, really hard to like fix these things in my life that have happened to me. And then I will be above and beyond the Enneagram. Um, I think it's more so like every day I participate in the act of not being limited by what I think I have to be limited by, which for most of us, right, we're we're limiting ourselves by living into only one of those Enneagram types when in reality, we have access to all of them within us. And so the goal isn't necessarily to eliminate having an Enneagram type, but it is at the same time, kind of, right? The goal is more so to participate in the process of not having to lean into one of them to feel okay in the world. That was kind of a roundabout answer, but hopefully it makes sense for our question asker. Okay, the next question. I have read that self-preservation threes can look like type ones. I'm pretty sure I'm a self-preservation three, but relate to many posts about type ones. Can you compare and contrast these types focusing on self-preservation subtypes for three? Yes, so self-preservation threes are the counter type of type three. So they're motivated by the threes motivators, but their actions may not match the more stereotypical behaviors of that type. This makes sense for why memes maybe or posts online feel more like type one for you because you may act even more like a type one, even if you're driven by three motivators. And it's kind of, it's hard, honestly, to make memes about motivation. Um, they almost implicitly have to be about action and about the average to low levels of health to make them funny or engaging or even differentiate them enough to make them interesting. However, the self-preservation three is the least showy of the threes. So if you, if you want to know a little bit more about these threes, they still want to be recognized for their accomplishments, but they're not as comfortable asking for that. So they have this kind of counter vanity that they're working with. They want to show you what they've done and what they've accomplished and how successful they are, but it feels like wrong or bad. So they kind of push that desire aside and, and almost say like, I don't want to be recognized, even if like deep, deep down they do. Um, they may seek that affirmation quietly or subtly. Um, they don't want to be flashy about their desire for that recognition, um, which can look a lot like our type ones. Type ones tend to be like pretty proper and appropriate. Um, they, they want feedback, but they're not going to ask for it because it's not polite to ask. Whereas a traditional three, they're definitely more so seeking out like, here's what I've done. They, they want to show you like, here's how much I've done. Here's how I'm succeeding. Um, here's where I'm excelling. 
The major differences here though are that threes primarily are focused on success, moving forward, accomplishment, succeeding, their um, progress over perfection. Whereas our ones, they can get caught up in, you know, they're more focused on I wanna be, I wanna live in integrity, I wanna do the right thing, um, perfection over progress, I wanna make sure that I'm putting the best out of everything that I can. Um, so th that's where they may, they really can differentiate. Threes are more likely to cut corners in order to get work out into the world, whereas ones are more likely to have like perfectionistic procrastination tendencies and um, are really, really intent on integrity and doing the same thing that you say you're gonna do. Okay, our next question. Is it possible to not have a wing? I'm a four and some days I feel like a wing five because I love learning and I feel introverted. Some days more than others, but other days I feel like I'm a wing three because I have a super competitive side that comes out along with my extroverted side. So here's the thing about wings. All of us have both wings. Some of us just lean into one or other like a little bit more. Um, some don't use their wings at all and others have pretty balanced wings where they're using both. So yes, you can totally be utilizing both of your wings. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I think most of us either kind of access one, both of them, um, even if we're leaning into one or the other more strongly. The next question is over the course of 2020, my Enneagram switched from two wing three to three wing one. While I'm encouraged, I took charge of my career in 2020. I am concerned about being a perfectionist. How should I handle that? Also, how would you recommend a three wing one handle vulnerability? I'm about to turn 40 and eager to finally start dating. Thanks. Hi, yay for dating at 40, so fun. Um, before I answer your question, a couple of things to know about what you asked. Um, I think it's helpful to know that wings are the numbers on either side of your dominant type. So type threes only actually have wings two and four. And also traditionally, we don't teach that Enneagram types can change, especially over the course of a year. So if you were 100% certain that you were typed correctly as a two before, what I would guess has happened is that you've went to type eight, um, which is how type twos can show up in behavior when they're stressed out, which 2020 was a heck of a year, right? So um, things to know are that type eights are very driven, work-focused individuals who can also have a strong sense of black and white, um, like a strong way of like black and white thinking. They can be pretty darn hard on themselves and struggle with vulnerability. So Honestly, my guess is that you've labeled that stress move to eight as becoming a three wing one. Now, with that being said, I would explore your rest move as a place for self-care. Twos go to type four for self-care. They are the most vulnerable type on the Enneagram. They're also typically creative and self-referencing, meaning they aren't afraid to do what feels best for them, take time for themselves and pour into their creative projects. AKA, you may need some time alone to pursue something you're passionate about and put your needs first in order to do a sort of self-care reset. Now, when that comes to dating, the goal here is to live such a beautiful existence on your own that everyone who comes along is a bonus and you're just inviting them along for the ride um, instead of them fulfilling a need or um, being the source of approval for you. I hope that that is helpful. 
Next question, is it possible for the health and stress signs to be reversed due to socialization or family dynamics? For example, I'm a four and I've noticed that in stress, my one-like qualities are very prominent, critical, feeling the need to police others, very cognizant of improper behavior and perfectionism. And in health, I tap more into the two, able to better see outside of my own experiences, more generous, more concerned about others, less selfish, etc. So in my training, I actually learned the lines as something that you can climb up intentionally or slide down unintentionally in either direction. So typically, I think of that slide down our rest line, so for you that would be one, as where we go when we are complacent or are resisting growth. And our climb up the stress move, as for you being two, as one of the ways that we intentionally can prevent stress in our lives. So as a four, if you are seeing outside of your own experiences, if you're being generous, if you're concerned about other people and you're showing up less self like selflessly, then you're less inclined to have the relational stress that maybe you might have if you're not doing that. Being critical, feeling the need to police others, feeling um, very cognizant of improper behavior or perfectionism, this is the way that you can prevent yourself from getting to those healthier levels as a type four, right? That's kind of like a form of stagnation actually for our fours. Enneagram question. Are there similarities between four, seven, and one? I'm constantly trying to figure out if I'm a four or an unhealthy one. Knowing that four goes to two in stress, what would that look like? I've heard that ones can have an inner critic, but being but being a four, I also have an inner critic at times. Wondering if you have seen or heard this before, thank you. Um, okay, so I just think it's important to say first and foremost that fours 100% have a harsh inner critic. It's like they have a really intense inner critic and we'll talk about it in a second, but just so you know, that is that doesn't only belong to our ones. So there are definitely similarities here, things to pay attention to. And it sounds like you know this, but ones do go to seven in rest and four in stress. So that's one way that it could be connected. If you are dominant type one and you feel connected to seven and four, then that makes sense. Now, if you feel confident that like four really does feel like what you're dominant in, let's explore some reasons why you might connect to one and seven. You go to one as your rest move. So that's already a connection there, right? Like you, that, that line is pretty strong. However, because it's your rest move, it's also your soul child number, meaning that according to how I interpret the soul child theory, it's almost like your four personality is there to protect the little innocent type one inside of you. So deep down, you just want to be a good person, do the right thing. But for whatever reason, you learned that you would never be good enough. So instead of being good, you are going to become significant. So there's, there's this deep pressure in the four to prove their significance and why they matter in the world. And this can make the fours very critical of themselves when they don't feel like they're living up to their standards of what significant looks like. Now, when it comes to connecting four and seven, there are actually a decent amount of similarities here. Both fours and sevens are self-referencing types, meaning they tend to explore the world through the lens of their wants and needs. Both of their health journeys involve becoming more present. Sevens tend to plan for future happiness, while fours are so comfortable with longing that they can live in this, if I blank, then I can have good things kind of space. They also are both pretty intense, idealistic, and passionate about life. 
they have a clear vision of what life should look like for them and they can even be a bit indulgent. Now, the major difference here is that fours are more comfortable with their full range of emotions. They're not trying to fix their emotions or solve them, while sevens really prefer the, the high side of life. They want to feel the good feelings. They struggle with going deep and um, may want to just kind of dance on the surface of good emotions. Fours are also um, more identity focused, while sevens are more experiential. Fours want to be seen the way that they see themselves. Sevens want to live the life the way that feels good to them. Fours are often more self-conscious in general, and sevens may be overly confident at times, even a little bit, a little bit too sure of themselves, if if you if that's possible. <laughs> okay, so I hope that this is helpful to you all. If you have Enneagram questions, you can call or text those in to 828 338-9127. And a little pro tip, if you call them in and leave a voicemail, they will get answered sooner. I have so many texts that we're still getting through the texts from January, but I can get through the voicemails a lot faster. There's so much fewer of them. Is that, I don't even know if that's the right way to say that, but you know what I mean. As always, it is an absolute joy to create this content for you. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would appreciate it very much if you just took a minute and left a rating and review in iTunes. It means the absolute world to me as a podcaster. And as always, I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.